Welcome to Pushing Through. I am Tate Frazier, and as always, I am joined by the kid BJ Armstrong. And today we have a very special guest. It is the NBA's medical director. He is the man that is in charge of the bubble. It is Dr. Leroy Sims. Mark Spears told us to make this happen, so we made it happen. And Dr. Sims, we're very happy to have you on Pushing Through. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And a, a special shout out to Mark Spears for um, asking you all to include me on the podcast and for you all making it happen. And for Mark uh, doing the interview and writing a piece on the undefeated um, and the interview piece that went up on ESPN.com. Um, he had he had a vision that he, he had in mind and he wanted to promote the work that we were doing and my role in it. And he said, we're going to do it. He did it. Um, and I'm just so appreciative of the work that he's done. So shout out to Mark. Mm. Well, Dr. Sims, I want to thank you so much. And uh, I have so many questions. I feel so much better just having you here. I feel like you're making a personal house call, you know, a virtual as it may. But I want to thank you so much. But I, I have to start off with this one question here. It's a, it's, a, it's a massive question. And I had a good friend who's no longer with us. Uh, we became good friends. He was a psychoanalyst. And he would always encourage me. To, he would always say we'd have these deep philosophical conversations. He would say, you have to have a way to think about the world. Mm -hmm. And we're in this pandemic. I just want to know, how did you take on this responsibility and what was your thought process when this was first presented to you of the possibility of doing something like playing in the bubble? So my, my introduction to the novel coronavirus goes back to January. I was in Paris with the NBA when Milwaukee was playing Charlotte for our NBA global game mm -hmm. over there. And calls started to come in from our China office because the NBA has offices all around the, all around the world. We have offices in Beijing and Shanghai. And so our offices over there were saying, what do we need to do? What do we need to know? Because while Wuhan is a ways away from Beijing and Shanghai, action needs to be taken in the office. So it was January 21st. I was out at dinner with colleagues, some of the doctors from Paris, um, some of our event doctors and some other guests um, at a restaurant called Rooster. And I spent the entire time on my phone researching this virus getting notes done and preparing for a medical briefing um, and that's subsequently what i did i wrote a medical brief to the league that told them about what this virus was the family is in how it's transmitted how many cases there have been what do we need to be on the lookout for not knowing that it was going to progress to what it has become but that was my first introduction into an understanding of of the virus and really following it and I did subsequently multiple medical advisories um, on, on the virus. And from that point, started to consult infectious disease experts. Hey, what's coming down the pipeline? Because remember, early on in the process, we only thought you were at risk if you traveled to China or you were around someone uh, who had been to China. So that was the first, you know, you, that's your risk factor. Or it's only bad if you're older. Next thing you know, it's we need to socially distance. We need to start wearing masks. This thing is not just transmitted by being close to someone. Asymptomatic people can did it, can get it, and on and on and on. And this virus, it is called the novel coronavirus. It's new to us. And the information that we get continues to unravel. And so I tell people all the time, as it relates to medicine, when we have one decision point that becomes a different decision point, it's not a flip-flop. That's us getting more data. That's us getting more knowledge and experience. And so 
as we moved along, you know, at the All-Star game, we had questions. Who are we going to allow to come to the All-Star? Are we going to let people travel? We were thinking about the impact of the virus even then with people traveling. Were we going to approve certain people coming in and out? You fast forward a couple more weeks, and we have our first positive in the league. Mm. And what does that mean? Again, remember in March, people weren't wearing masks. We, weren't, we didn't have wide access to testing. We weren't socially distancing. So it was known that if, if a player tested positive, the impact was going to be tremendous, not only to his players, his teammates, the team that he played against, the referees, the team that they played against the night before or three nights before. And so it just, it, it, it blossomed out. And we knew we had to get a, a hold of that um, and, and not be a part of the spread. And so that's when we really redoubled and um, focused our efforts on, what do we have to do? Let's, let's hit this pause button and let's have a discussion with each other internally with the players association, because any decisions that we were going to have moving forward, we needed buy-in from the players association. We weren't going to stand up a medical plan and say, this is what we're doing. They have to agree to it. And there would have to be some concessions, but no concessions that would put us at medical risk. And so that started that effort. And in March into April, and into May, we started looking at the possibility of locations where we could play if we were given the opportunity to play. What would we do for testing? So we started calling companies. We started calling Roche. We started calling Cepheid, Thermo Fisher, BioRat, the companies that make the tests. Then we started calling the companies that do testing, like Quest and, and, and LabCorp. Because if we're going to test, we probably will need to test in 29 different markets all around, all around the, the country and including in Toronto. We have to get tests if we need them. We need to get those tests turned around quickly. But we also, the NBA does a very fantastic thing and I'm very proud of this. The, the social responsibility and, and, and what we're doing, even from a medical point of view, is something that the NBA highlights. And at all times we understood we couldn't go somewhere or test anywhere where we were a burden to society to the local community. Mm -hmm. We couldn't, we couldn't do tests where we were taking away tests from the local hospital, or we couldn't do a bunch of tests with Quest, whereby we would cause a bottleneck in the turnaround times for the local community. So we were very cognizant of what our approach would be, that we weren't going to be a negative impact. And in fact, as we talked to these companies about testing, one of the things that we emphasized was, hey, if we're going to use you to do 2,000 tests a day for us, make it 3,000, we're going to donate 1,000. We wanted to make sure that we were going to give back. Um, things that we don't use, we can, we can donate. We, we would have a plan in place for engaging with the community. And we put the charge out to the team in your markets, engage with the local community, make some contributions back. So that was a part of the planning process. We need this bubble, but we also have to remember the communities where we may be going or the communities where you live that we have to give back, that we have to play an active role. Mm -hmm. So in all of that planning, as it starts to materialize, we, we consult with infectious disease doctors like Dr. David Ho, who consulted on the Magic Johnson case back in the 90s. Wow. He was the time man of the year in 1996. We, we consult with uh, industrial hygienists. What type of cleaning processes are we going to have? What type of material should we use? How frequently should we clean? What should we clean with? How long do we need, need it to dry? What, what about the HVAC system? Do we need HEPA filters or not? And how long do we need in between games in order to get courts turned over and, and air circulation? All, all of the details, uh, we, 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 we 
We investigated. We talked to epidemiologists. I had a talk with a mathematician, Dr. Andrea Bertozzi from UCLA. I called her up because I had a very specific question as we were talking about bubbles. We were looking at various cities, Las Vegas, uh, Walt Disney World, um, down in Orlando, Houston, Chicago. I said to her, I have a pointed question. If we do two bubbles, do we double our risk of COVID? Or is it exponentially higher? And that was something that we needed to know. So we could take it back to leadership and say, hey, we, we, this, is, this is much worse if we try to do it this way. And really what she said, well, it comes down to exposures, how many exposures people will have, but also the potential to dilute your talent. There's only one Leroy Sim, so you can't be in both Las Vegas and in Orlando. So you really wanna take the best of your medical team and your experts and your workers and be in one place and do it well as opposed to the potential dilution and the potential increased exposures if you're in two places. But I mean, I'm talking to a mathematician about trying to, you know, get, get the game of basketball played. That's, that, that, that's, that's the effort that went into this. And when all of those conversations were said and done, again, this, this health and safety document is about 115 pages, but we send it over to the players association. We have called, we had calls, multiple calls a week with not only the lawyers on the Players Association side, but their medical team and the players themselves, Chris Paul and Tatum and, and Andre Gudala, they're on the call and they're asking questions. Mm. And we have to fill those questions. And, you know, again, coming back to how we make the decision, how do we keep the bubble safe? One of the issues was guests. And we knew, you know, once we get in the bubble, we set it up, it'll run well. But then if you have guests and you're bringing in people from the outside, that could be challenging. But from our side, it's like, well, we'd rather not. But the players are like, we're not coming if we can't see our family at all. We're not, we're not going to be in a bubble for three months away from our family. Something's got to give. And that's that active discussion. Well, if we're going to have guests, what's a thoughtful, reasonable medical way we can do it? It's going to involve a level of testing and quarantine and understanding what, what we need to do. If there are going to be kids involved, we have to get comfortable with the masking protocols for, for kids. And so, you know, I, and I've spoken to a pediatric infectious disease expert about that. I mean, we, we, we've done so much homework, but it, it was a massive, massive collaboration. Lots of brain power, lots of discussion, standing there answering questions. And I think, I think that, is, that has been a very big, important piece to the puzzle as well. Standing in front of a Zoom call or in the front of a room and fielding the question. No, no question is a dumb question. You have to ask. That's very important because no matter what me, the doctor, prescribes for you, if you don't believe it, if you don't trust it, even if it's the panacea that I know that's going to cure you, if you don't believe it, you're not going to take it. Mm. So even though I prescribe the thing that will cure you, we have to have a relationship. We have to have trust in order for you to believe in that regimen and to carry it out. So it's a partnership at, at all points. I see medicine and what we're doing as a partnership. And I believe that's how we were able to get this bubble intact, get it set up. And that's how now we are able to say for the past five weeks, we haven't had any players test positive. Players are there to play basketball. We're keeping them healthy and safe. The game is on. Mm. 
And that's, I mean, that, that's pretty much a rundown right there, right? If you haven't kept up with the NBA bubble and why it's working, just listen to Dr. Leroy Sims right there, break it all down. That was an amazing monologue. We, doctor, we appreciate that. I feel like uh, I am all caught up to speed, but I do want to ask about a few things. Uh, contingency plans. I feel like that is a, a buzzword when it comes to the NBA and Adam Silver, especially. There's a plan in case of emergency. There's a plan in case of that plan, and, and the list goes on and on. So you, you say you guys found out in January and you start putting together the first plans. Did you feel by the time you were at all-star in February that we should be ramping things up? Cause it did feel from just from the outside looking in that it kind of the, the Rudy Gobert go moment. And when we figure that out, the game stops and that's it. But there seems to be that you guys were already in, in the mode of putting a plan together at that point um, in March. Well, that's, that's the MO of, of the NBA and my, my background in medicine is I'm an emergency physician. Yep. So when I see someone, the first things I have to do is consider the worst case scenarios. And in medicine, what we have is what's called a differential diagnosis. So if you stub your toe, I don't go stub toe. I go, what are the different processes that this could be? It could be a contusion, it could be a laceration, it could be a fracture. So just my nature, my work nature is to consider the alternatives, but the NBA does that as well. We couldn't, we never put all of our eggs in one basket. We plan when we have a, a an all-star game, the planning for the all-star game starts a year, a year in advance. Mm-hmm. And we go do site visits and we meet with the, the police department and fire department and office of emergency services and, and the building and the arena. And we, 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 we plan, we plan, we plan, we plan, and we have backups for those plans. And so remember when we were in Chicago for all-star game, we didn't have a lot of cases in the United States of America. This was still seen as a virus that was external to us. Yep. But we had to think about what would happen. So first it started with monitoring travel. And, and, and we started to limit and restrict traveling for our, our, our employees and our business partners. We, we took a look at the intelligence that was coming from the State Department and from the CDC, from their travel advisory list, and saying certain countries you can't go to. But then we started to take proactive steps and saying, you know what, we're going to reduce all travel to, to only business essential travel. Mm. We had a group, we had a group that was planning to go to Milan to prepare for the basketball without borders event that we were going to have in August. And they were prepared to go right at the end of January. And on a Sunday night, I got a call from the security lead, Bobby McDonald. And he said, Hey, is it, is it good for us to go? I was like, all systems look good, Bobby. And Monday morning, I had to call them back, like, travel advisory. Italy's off the table. You can't go. <laughs> like, just like that. So, 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 but, but we, we, do, we do look for what's the worst case scenario. So what we, we, are, we were thinking, even in Chicago, what would happen if we did have a febrile illness? We didn't know it would be coronavirus, but if it was a flu outbreak, how would we prepare for that? And so do we have hotel space where we can isolate people? Do we have hospital relationships built in so we can get people in to be evaluated? So we, we already had that, that program in place. But the same, the same applies for, for the larger league. We start telling teams, you need to start thinking about this. And, and it's not uncommon. One, one year, I think it was a year ago, we had someone who came to a game and was later discovered to have measles. And so wow. that person had exposed people in the arena and so the, 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 the team was ready for that already. We, so we already have plans in place if there are any type of medical exposures or there are any type of, you know, active shooters in arenas. We have all those plans in place every year and we review those every year. 
So, so to some extent, the league is already prepared for infectious disease outbreaks like measles or, or flu or whatever you, what may have you that, that may, that may spread amongst the players, amongst the fans. So we, we had all that. We just had to augment that to something that was more specific that was looking like it was looming to be a pandemic, but that's what we do. And even now, while we're down in, in Florida, we have a hospital relationship with, with Advent health and we have a, a urgent care clinic on campus at the Coronado Springs resort with doctors, nurses, we have x-ray ultrasound, we can do labs. And that's for the players, the refs and our guests. If that is not sufficient, we can take them out to Celebration Hospital, which is the closest hospital. Um, and we have a VIP concierge relationship with them. But then we've also gone the extra step of looking into, well, what happens if the hospitals down there fill up? So we've vetted other hospitals in the region uh, Tampa, Jacksonville, but also we've looked into what we would need to do to medically evacuate people if the need came. So we, we all continue to plan to make sure that we're ready at moment's notice for whatever the issue may be, if it's containing the spread, if it's responding to a violent threat, if it's making sure we have hospital beds that are available to take care of people and understanding if this hospital is full, what happens next? And, and not just relying on the hospitals to tell us, hey, we got a plan. It's like, let me see it. So, I mean, I can show you the 286-page document from Orange County Emergency Response. What happens if? And we get those documents and we review them because we need to know and be ready. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, that, that Commissioner Adam Silver demands. He, he, he demands that. And it's not like, hey, we got it covered. He's like, no, show me. What, what is it? Right. <laughs> and so that, that, is, that is a part of the process of working in the league that we have to have plans B, C, and D already. Not, not, we're, we're not, it, it, it's very hard to say to the commissioner, I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been like, there. I've been there. I've made that mistake. I've made that mistake before. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. With football right around the corner, there is no better place to get in on all the action than when DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. You've heard it before. I'll say it again. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving all users a no-brainer to start the season. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for week one, DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 points for all users so even if kansas city loses by 100 points you still win big with DraftKings sportsbook that's a no-brainer on top of that amazing offer DraftKings is giving away up to 100 million dollars in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool all you have to do is sign up for DraftKings sportsbook enter their survivor pool and you'll instantly get a share of up to 100 million dollars in giveaways download the top rated DraftKings sportsbook app right now and use promo code last dance to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer, that's promo code Last Dance. who get in on all the action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And we're also brought to you by NHTSA. 
Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk, you could get in a crash, people could get hurt or killed, but let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Drunk driving can have a big impact on your wallet too. You could get arrested or incur huge legal expenses. You could possibly even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving, you ask? Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking. Designate a sober driver or call a taxi. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure, you're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Back to Dr. Sims. Just so much information that you're giving. You're just kind of, I've just kind of tried to soak as much of it in. This is such a massive undertaking, right? And this is something that's just at the beginning, I didn't know. I was like, that's interesting. Sounds like an interesting idea. But every player that I've spoken to, every executive, coach working in the media, everyone has said the same thing. The amount of thought and detail and how appreciative they are that you know you guys did this how did you manage it had to be like thousands of people mm-hmm. to every single detail from the time they got on the bus to their luggage to how they get to how many people did it take to organize it? i mean do you sleep i mean how do you do this <laughs> I, I mean for me 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 alone i mean you know i i've had I, I'll, I'll tell you about one day in particular where i worked I got up at 9 p.m. to work an overnight shift in the ER. I worked all night in the ER. I got home at 9 a.m., worked a full day of NBA calls. I didn't finish those calls until 10 p.m. and had a few more emails to send and went to bed at 1 a.m. And that was, that was one of the extreme, but that was when I was doing having to do my ER work and the NBA work, and the NBA work had to get done. That was in June. And down in the bubble, I had several, a few weeks where I was sleeping three hours a night. But I mean, the, the number of NBA staff, it is tremendous. And I'll, I'll walk you through some of it. It starts with events and our event planners. And remember, every aspect of, of the campus has to have someone who's leading up the effort. So starting with Kelly Slato, who's the head of events, she has to deploy people for the arena. And you have people organizing the arena. And it's getting the courts in there, doing the rigging and the lights and the visual signage. You have people setting up the chairs. And in everything that happens in the arena, you need the medical influence. How close are the chairs going to be? What are we going to do in terms of cleaning, locker rooms, et cetera? Then you go to the hotels. Players need hotels. We have a hotel group. You have to organize when people are coming in, what their quarantine looks like, because when people are in quarantine, they need food. You have to make sure the food's getting delivered. And if you're off by a day, someone might not eat if they're in quarantine. And then what does that delivery process look like? And what's the testing going to look like for Disney folks who are delivering that food and preparing that food and gloves they're using. And again, medical is inserted into the process of just getting people food. How often are people going to get their rooms clean, you know, and, and trying to minimize the interaction there transportation. So you've got to shuttle people around. Well, we have to space people out on the buses. So we're going to need more bus space, we, you know, want to maybe get a plexiglass barrier so that the bus driver is exposed to players and, and back and forth, you know, and, and again, like when we have people transported, we got to clean, 
that 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 bus space and what what what's that process look like and on and on and on so with there's there's so much with media how, how many media are we going to have in the room you know what when, when are we going to do when are we going to do our our interviews right are we going to let players shower shower in, in in the arena and then do interviews go back to the hotel and shower and do interviews there and and there's so many media partners you have to have that figured out because media has to be ready to be transported to wherever those interviews are going to take place. How long is it going to be? Um, media access to us in the campus. Where are they going to eat once we're out of quarantine? And then you, you, you go into the, the details of the medicine and I can speak to this part. Right. Let's start with the testing. How often are we testing? What makes the most sense? Who's doing the testing? Can we test the testers? to make sure that they're not a risk. Mm. And when we do the testing, how do we get the results? Who's following up that results? If we're testing 1600 people, one person can't follow all that, those results. And then you go beyond the testing. What happens if someone tests positive? Then we need separate transportation for people who are COVID positive. And it can't be the same transportation for everybody else because you don't want that, that cross-contamination. We need separate housing for them. Where is that going to be? We need to make sure that they can get food in that housing, that they get good linen, and that when people test positive and they're in isolation housing, that they're not isolated. We check, we check on them twice a day. There's a nurse that has to check in on those patients and let us know if anything is going on. We get them in touch with a, a mental health provider, a clinical psychologist who we have in the bubble, who will talk to them mm -hmm. if, they are, if they're amenable to it. We talk to HR because if, if I can't go to work, then I got to let my supervisor know. But if I tell my supervisor I have COVID-19, well, that's kind of a violation of my privacy. I, I, I don't have to disclose medical information. And so our HR helps us navigate those waters. And so HR is involved, transportation, events, medical, media. It, it, it is so massive. Everything that you can think of that people have to do, we have to have a medical situation for it. Guys want to play cards? what's the risk in that guys want to play ping pong what's the risk in that people want to guys have to be on the bench for the game how far out can we space those seats mm -hmm. you know to, to minimize our risk the paramedics who are courtside what type of personal protective equipment are they wearing are they being tested yes but we have to we have to negotiate that with with fire department and, and, and the ems service to, to get them to agree to test so, I mean, how, how big was it? How big is it? it? It's tremendous because there are all of those moving parts. And while what we're talking about right now is sort of the outline and the basics, you want to also make sure that the, that, that the folks down there have a good experience. So you want to make sure that the guys have access to golf or pickleball or, or whatever case may be. So it, it's not just an austere environment, that it's something that is comfortable. And I think that that was the surprise when, when, the, when the players thought about, man, being potentially being down there for three, three and a half months, like this is going to be miserable. But when they saw the effort that the events group went through to make sure that they had some comfortable accommodations that you can get food delivered from Del Frisco's or Morton's where it's like, you know, there's a food Disney makes, but you have access to this outside stuff too. Some of the finer trappings that you like being able to get things like fine wine delivered. That's a part of it too. We want to make sure that that's taken care of, but if that stuff is coming in, is it being done safely? <laughs> so, so even <laughs> yeah. if you, you know, who's delivering what, you know, the, it, we, it comes back to that. So we keep having to be inserted in, in all aspects of, of everyday life 
and the big picture, but that's the planning. And so I'd say maybe seven, 800 NBA staff who, who, who are down there supporting this effort. I mean, it is wow. massive. You know, my, my event medical team, I mean, we're a team of about eight that are down there. We have player health and they're, they're the team that puts together the protocols and, and liaise with, with the NBA players association. Um, and their staff is, probably eight or so you got basketball operations um every everything it, it is it's it's it, it's a it's a lot of people doing a lot of work i mean you know the, the head of player health david weiss i'm i'm in i'm in california i sent him an email at midnight and he responds he's in maine i'm like dave what when, when do you sleep if i just if you're responding at at 3 a.m like you got to sleep brother <laughs> uh, well, that's I, well just it. I want to ask you this because I, I I can't, you know I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a husband I'm a father. How are you doing, Doc? You've been taking care of everyone else. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure. How are you doing, and how are you managing with everything that's going on? I'm I'm doing well. Um, the the biggest support that I have is my wife Melissa. Um, Melissa, you, Melissa has been here. I I went to Florida for six weeks. And Melissa held down the fort. Melissa is a physician. She's a radiologist and she works out of our house. She has like six monitors down there and she does musculoskeletal radiology, MRI, things like that. I actually consult her on cases all the time. But as a working mom with dad gone for six weeks, she held it down. She took care of our two daughters and have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, Noemi and Kalia. Um, and they, they, they were the, the energy behind what I did. I make sure that we have contact, we have constant contact. Um, and even when the things get very, very, very busy, we do something as a family every day, which is called high low, where we get together and we check in at the end of the day and say, Hey, what was the highlight of your day and the low light of your day? And we listen to each other. And that's something that happens every day. So no matter what, I, I always find time for, for the high low, um, with them. And then if I have more time, we, we share that time. So that's, that's a big piece of it, the family piece. That, that, that's just the motivation. The other parts of it is obviously trying to sleep. I had a long stretch where I wasn't sleeping very well. Trying to get some exercise. Exercise um, is my laboratory. I ran track. Um, I was on a track team at Stanford in college. Um, and and running, running for me is therapeutic. I've written great lectures while out for a run. And so for me, being able to go outdoors to Coronado and do that loop around the campus, which is about one and three quarters miles, like that getting out and running for me, that, that was key. I had to find the time. There are many stretches where I didn't have it, but, but that exercise is important, not only to keep me healthy, but also it's that laboratory. It really helps to, to de-stress um, and, you know, trying, trying to eat. And then surrounding myself with people who had my back. There were, there were times where I was so busy, I wasn't eating, but another person would bring food, you know, and, and, and having that and having that support. So that, that's how I stayed, stayed upright during, during all this. But I, I will tell you this, as an emergency medicine physician and as a sports medicine physician, this, this is what I, this is what I want to do. This is what I was made for. Like I I'm, I'm the guy waiting in the hospital for something bad to happen. So this, this <laughs> pandemic has, has actually been like, wow, this is fascinating. Like you don't want it to get too giddy about it, but it's like, this is what I'm here for. It's like, this hasn't happened in 102 years, but I still work in the ER right now taking care of patients. And, and I'm, I'm on the front line 
but I'm also doing work with the NBA, helping with the planning and the execution and taking care of patients down there as well. But this is, this is my, this is my joint. Like this is <laughs> why I went into medicine. Like I wanted to do this. Like I am here for this. It's exhausting, but it's completely exciting. And, and because this, this, it keeps changing. We have our peak in May, cases start to go down. Now you get your second peak. What does that mean? And, and, and my, my favorite board game is the game of risk. You sit there and you look at the board and you make calculated moves. And that's what this is. How, we, when we signed the deal to go down to Walt Disney World, they didn't have all those cases in Florida. And so all of a sudden now we're like, we're going into the belly of the beast. Like what, what, what are we going to do? Can we do it? Let's do it. What is our plan? Does our plan stand up to what the environment will be? And we, we think we have the opportunity to be safe, even in the midst of what was going on. And that's borne out. And, and I think it's a testament to the preparation and the hard work to a large collaborative effort. And I think there's a lot of faith that the, the staff, because the staff are there too and at risk, that the players have had in us and in this plan. I think that the, the, the message I gave to the players when they arrived and I think that re what really speaks to all of this success that we're having, and, and we're not at the fi final, final, final horn. There's still a long way to go. But the message I had for them was this. You all are here to play basketball, and we want the game to go on. The foundation upon which we're building that basketball court is compliance. You have to do your job. I have to do mine. And you have to have my back. I have to have yours. And that is what's going to get us across. And as long as people are compliant and have been compliant, we've had a modicum of success in continuing the game. And so that compliance has gone a long way. Um, I think people have had faith in what we've done. They've had belief in what we've done. And like I talked about with that panacea, we've prescribed a regimen that they believe in and they're taking it and it's showing results. And that's all you could hope for as a doctor. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Sims, we appreciate you and we wish you continued success in the in the bubble. And we, uh, we're very happy that we have basketball. And I think the world is very happy to have basketball yeah. back. And now we see the, the inner workings behind all that. And we, we thank you for coming on Pushing Through. And we'd love to have you come back on and, and share the story once we get to the finish line. Once the final horn hits and we have a champion and, and the bubble is all wrapped up, then we can all get back here and celebrate. I would absolutely love to. This has been this has been a pleasure, a great a great conversation. I know there were other things that we may have wanted to get to, but you know, I there's I know always I can next go time, on Doc. and on, but but there's that excitement. I mean, I this is this is my thing. I enjoy it. So you know, um, it, it's truly been a pleasure. Thank you very very much for having me on. No, thank you. You're always welcome here. We could listen to you all day. Thank you for making a special house call. But more importantly, when we look back on this. And I, and I mean this, we're going to remember what transpired down there in the bubble. Mm -hmm. And whatever, however we come out of this, I think what you guys have done under your leadership and the collaborative effort that you've had to make, the new normal will resemble something that you guys are doing. And mm -hmm. we're so appreciative. And, and I, I want to say this, I think the world wants to thank you and the effort that you guys have done because it's been just incredible work incredible team effort and it's been an example for all of us so thank you so much for taking time thank your family mm -hmm. for allowing you to work and do what you have to do and i know we always yeah. try to have a balance but as you and i know there is no balance <laughs> we we do our work and uh again thank you so much for coming on and anytime 
you're always welcome here. And uh, thank you again for taking Great. taking some time. Thanks for having me. Yep. Really appreciate it. Thank you.